Tom Hanks, man. Tom Hanks. He has coronavirus. Does he really? Yeah. Tommy Boy and his wife and his wife Rita. Not Rita. I know. If this takes away Tom Hanks from us, I'm gonna be very upset. Not the eighty thousand Chinese. No, God bless. No, God bless the Chinese. Listen, I love Tom Hanks. Ah, he's wonderful. Big Forrest Gump, Philadelphia, bachelor party that I watched five seconds of when it was on TV as a kid. I thought I should not be watching this and and turned it off immediately. Slash teenager on USA up all night. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, wait, what? Tom Hanks was in a bad movie, but no, no. Comedy, Luke. It's a comedy. Well, at that time, I was very impressionable, uh, chubby 12 year old. Who really liked the Lion King soundtrack? No, oh, you, did you really? Oh yeah, I love the Lion King soundtrack. When you were in middle school, you really liked the Lion King soundtrack. In I was um, in the sixth grade, and I remember when we would pick up Christina from her daycare, we would always have the tape playing, and I adored it. Man, I am right there with you. I borrowed so my, good. I borrowed my best friend's older sister's copy of the CD, and I never gave it back to her. Take that, Tanya. Her name was Tracy. How dare you? Yeah, I was close enough. You really were. I memorized every word on those songs, and then I used to pretend that my family, because we used to live in L.A. in the summers, you know, and I would pretend that my family was at a Jay Leno taping, uh, just like the scene out of the Joker movie, and he would invite me to come forward to sing everyone The Lion King. <laughs> I have never said those words out loud before. <laughs> I love that that was a fantasy of yours. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. My little chubby rolls. I used to be a mighty king, so enemies beware. I'm brushing up, I'm looking, I'm working on my roar. Wow, you just, just, kind, of, getting you just kind of skipped over out. some of the words? Yeah, I listen, I'm not saying that I remember all of it now. I'm brushing up, I'm looking down, I'm working on my roar luke i'm gonna tell you you're gonna be memorizing this stuff pretty quickly when that little one pops out and says daddy i don't want to have emotional connections with you i want to have emotional connections near you with the same movie you say good enough fair enough for you can i sleep did you notice (laughs) that on the last episode i called ever uh everly several different names oh i did not know that Uh, my sister sure did (laughs) i called her evelyn I, now, I called her Evie, which is the thing that we've called her. Yeah. I probably called her Ever, uh, Everly, Everlyn, Evelyn. But you're not, like, uh, forgetting who she is and her real name. No, not in the slightest. Here's the thing. <laughs> I'm going to claim stroke on this one. I'm going to pull the stroke card. He's pulling the stroke card, ladies and gentlemen. The stroke card has been invoked. It may be used throughout the duration of this show for one subject and one subject only. Begin. I think sometimes when I talk about things and I'm, if I'm not explicitly paying attention to what I'm saying, which we all do, how often are you 100% fully that's only, you know, I'm just kind of going as I do. Yeah. I mispronounce words now more than I used to. <laughs> I'm not saying I was the most articulate individual ever, but I f- think it's gotten a little bit worse since the stroke. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would, I, would, uh, I would agree with that. You have noticed that? I would say, though, that your typos have gotten better since the stroke. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have such bad grammar. And now you just got that country grammar. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, Coco, what? Shannon crushing bud. <laughs> May that joke never die. Oh, never. Man, Listen, never we'll, we'll, this podcast will be in our 60s and we'll still be doing it for our t- uh, 
10 patrons, which still counts. And I will still be making those jokes. Yeah, that's okay. Rebecca will go with us all the way to the end. Thanks, Rebecca. All right, here's the deal. You ain't got no staff, no time, and certainly no budget to make creating compelling content for social media in any way a priority. So what do you do as a Catholic parish? Probably what most parishes do, and you just copy and paste things straight from your bulletin page onto your Facebook page. Man, that ain't no way to live. And yet, all the millennials, Gen Xers, and even grumpy, fussy baby boomers are online like 24-7, which means your church can be online like 24-7. And they don't just want you to have a presence online. They want it to be good, like like really, really good. That's why CatholicSocial.media exists. You subscribe to them, and they hook you up with daily social media posts that you can personalize for your parish without their, like, logo all over the stuff. You know, like when you illegally pull stuff from Google Image Search, and it has other people's logos all over everything? Not that I've ever done that. I am as pure as the morning dew. CatholicSocial.media is a Catholic company with Catholic artists, designers, writers, and videographers coming up with the very best stuff for your parish. And you can look like a genius and save time and money. Head on over right now to try.catholicsocial.media. Apparently, the design nerds over there are big fans of Catching Foxes, and they created a free trial with the discount code FOXES for you just to try out their stuff and see if it's a good fit for your parish. That's a free trial with the promo code FOXES over at try.catholicsocial.media. Special thanks to catholicsocial.media for sponsoring this show. How are you with doing with the coronavirus? We are we are an hour and a half or so after the president uh, when he addressed the nation. We've just and more importantly, we just found out Tom Hanks has it that all flights to Europe and from Europe are banned. I think or something along those lines. Uh, the Trumps he's enacting things for for small owned businesses as well as insurance copays, which I think are very cool. Um, how how are you feeling? How are you doing with this? Let's capture this moment in time for future coronavirus uh, immune descendants. Okay, well, let me say this. Number one, because I don't follow the news, I mean, I obviously knew all this stuff was happening. Um, there were some health-related podcasts that uh, someone cued me in on, and so I listened to it, and the guy broke down like hey, the flu is far worse and blah, blah, blah. And so that was my narrative. You know, 10,000 people have already died in the U.S. from the flu. But um, I have slowly started to do a little bit more research, especially as there's been a cascade effect of closures. And because I have two huge trips coming up in March. On Saturday, I'm flying to Anchorage which means I'm going to fly to the Denver airport and then connect to my next flight for, you know, six hours of flying. So I'm going to be on a plane, a veritable incubator for six hours. And then the same thing on the way back, I'm taking a red-eye flight. So I'm super nervous about this, especially since, uh, you know, the diocese, archdiocese of Seattle just suspended all public masses. You know, you're hearing this over and over and over again. And at first, I was like, no, this is hype. This is a media-built frenzy. And I think all the people going nuts buying toilet paper and God knows what else, that's all like the frenzy. Um, A lot of it is the frenzy. But um, right now, I can say honestly, after reading one article written by an Italian doctor, 
to the U.S. audience of young people. He says, listen. I think I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he says, yeah. You, you might be able to survive this. But to have a cavalier attitude about this, you are going to kill several old people. Are you okay with that? Like, oh, it doesn't affect us. You know, I'm in my 20s. It's okay. You know, I, I, I know it'll suck if I get sick, but it won't kill me. And it's like, it could scar your lungs for life. Do you want scar tissue on your lungs? Because even though you might be healthy and bounce out of it, you can still have lifelong lasting damage. How about four months of physical therapy? And I was like, holy crap. And then he described what it's like in northern Italy of just, he said, you know, my doctor friend's telling me I have to, you know, decide whose life am I going to save? A 40-year-old father of two or a 60-year-old who has other, you know, who has high blood pressure? Who's otherwise healthy, um, you know, or this, and, and you're like, well, why does he have to choose? Well, because they're, you know, it's some crazy, you know, multiple of what hospitals can take are being filled with. They said tiny corners of the hospital now are reserved for everything else. And then the whole rest of the hospital is reserved for dealing with Corona and, uh, you know, COVID-19, right? So, uh, I, I I went from being like, we'll be okay, you know, we're homeschooled, my wife stay at home, she can get supplies during the day, which she's been able to do, and it's been amazing. I don't have as high a worry factor, and I'm like, what the hell am I talking about? All of our friends have friends, <laughs> you know, or at school. It spreads, right? I'm not going to be able to hide from it. And yeah, and so I'm on, I'm a, because I'm on a leadership team at my parish, we also, all of us directors are by default on our dis- disaster response team. And so now we're coordinating with the archdiocese to figure out what should be our obvious things. And, uh, you know, at our parish, we already don't do the chalice. You know, it's just all this different stuff. And so now I would say I have gone from a two in terms of worry uh, to like a high eight out of ten. I'm at about, in terms of the virus itself, I'm at about a six, maybe a seven. Um, I'm at about an eight for the economic, uh, mm-hmm. stuff that could go along with that. Uh, had a good chat with, with my uncle about that. And it just really got me thinking, you know, about what that's going to mean. You know, what about people who are close to retirement? What about people who, you know, uh, we have like people unlike us, we have a decent runway in terms of, uh, you know, we can kind of go through an, a tough, like one yeah. more tough economic, economic thing. We've still got another one in us. Um, <laughs> People who are, you know, close to a retirement or who are, they, they might not, you know, and so that's a, that's a very real thing. And so, um, yeah, all those people doing fire, right. They're, they're, they're not banking on, they're banking on, like, if you do fire, the whole kind of the premise is you, you have a rainy day fund and then some, because you know that the stock market every 10 to 15 years will have a horrible downfall. You know, it will. And so you plan accordingly. And by planning accordingly, meaning you don't retire until you can, you know, your investments can weather such a downfall. And so right now, if you're, if you follow the kind of the fire financial reasoning, all these idiots are taking their money out of the stock market now. You know, when things are cheap, don't do that. Start, keep incrementally putting your money in the stock market. You're getting a fire sale. Every time that stock market goes down, don't be irrational. That's when you buy, 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 right? That's when you do it. And your value is going to go down and down and down, but then it's going to go back up. 
Well, and it's going to go. It might take a year or two years, but it's going to go back up, and you're going to be like, yeah. While all of you bought stock high and sold it low, I bought it low, and now it's back up to high again. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to have a, like an awkward pause there, to just kind of, <laughs> I'll make you wait. Go. This has been one minute of Gomer's cold calculation. Yeah, no, but you have to also stand like like one thing um, in the Great Depression. One thing that, that they talked about that uh, that my history professors talked about was it was very as much it was a financial depression, yeah. it was a psychological one. Oh, and yeah. that one actually lasted longer. Yeah. And as someone who two thousand eight hits pretty hard, I would say, yeah, in the beginning, that screws you up for a while. <laughs> And so I agree, but I, I I don't think you can really like. I mean, of course you like. I I, I am not saying don't criticize people, but I am saying uh, everyone's going to have an 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 opinion on what people should be doing, and a little bit of charity. I'm not saying you were being un. Yeah, I mean the charitable. the reality is this is why behavioral economics is a field, right? It's because. Yeah. People choose through emotions. Now, if you're nearing retirement and you just watched your entire portfolio take a 12 percent, yeah, 20 percent chop, you have every right to be absolutely nervous. I'm speaking as someone where retirement is another 20 years ahead and I'm still building for someone like me where I know in two years or in three years, the market will have retained, you know. Past performance is not indicative of future success. Uh, we'll retain, we'll, we'll be back where it was, you know, before the dip. Um, historically speaking, I, I don't, I don't have those worries that people like that do. And this is the reason why I, when I was like Mr. Libertarian, I hated the Federal Reserve because the whole point of the Federal Reserve was inflate the inflate money. And when you inflate the money, the actual paper for people on fixed incomes, aka the most vulnerable. They get hurt the worst because their dollar is worth 97 cents next year and 94 cents the following year. And you just go out over time and we're just robbing. That's why the inflation is called the silent thief. You know, yeah. and it's stuff like that. Like these are the economic calculations that we all got to make. I'm not, I, it, it did sound like I was being cold. Like for me and the economics of it, like I just heard this really scary stat um, about generic drugs. Right, so the generics, not the name brands, which are you know much cheaper. All the generic drugs that are um, life-saving drugs that they're on, like crash carts in hospitals and stuff, that they need to administer to people immediately to save their lives. They are all one hundred percent made in China. Hooray! Right. So the the uh, in 2017 this guy was saying from i don't know where he was from but he's a he's a disease detective and he said in 2017 he wrote a paper in 2015 saying we have a worldwide catastrophe on our hands here's this building see this here's puerto rico here's this building you know what this building is it's the company responsible for the factories that manufacture 85% of all of our saline bags our iv bags for the whole world 85% of them comes from this one place and he said, that's one hurricane away from worldwide devastation. 2017, that happened. Thousands of people lost their lives because there weren't enough IV bags to go around. You know, it's stuff like mm. that that you don't think, it's not like the immediate thing right in front of you. It's the, you know, it's the fact that Luke can't yeah. get the new iPhone. Oh, but he's got it now, so it's fine. <laughs>
Man, how crazy. So I, I just bought a plane ticket today for Detroit, and it was $200. So, okay, this is, this is one reason why this coronavirus thing is nuts. Sports. The, the NBA is canceled. Yeah. Um, Two players MLS were rushed off the court. Be canceled. Right? Two NBA players were rushed off the court right before the – I, like I don't know about that. Yeah, Shane was Oh, just, was that the Oklahoma City yeah. game? I, I, I heard they the canceled that, the game. that they canceled the game. Yeah. And they canceled the whole, they canceled the whole season after that. Yeah. It's like, what are you going to do? I imagine that baseball is going to be canceled. Italy's canceled. Um, Syria, the soccer league there. Um, yeah, Italy's getting it so bad. It's so bad. Uh, I just got TSA pre-check, and now it's pointless. This is not good. It's all about you. The, uh... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I did just get it, but I'm fine. You got five more years. Yeah, I'm good. Well, the zombies 17... will start attacking us. In yeah, four that's true. So. What if this is a zombie? Like, son of a... What if zombies come, and I'm not prepared because I haven't bought a shotgun yet? <laughs> Nor uh, an all-terrain vehicle. I know. Well, I do have my Chevy Sonic that we both don't fit in when I have to drive you in it. <laughs> Man, that thing is so small. No, so small. Ugh. I'm fine in there, but then I always forget. Like, I feel fine, but I have it set up just right that it works great for me. And then the minute someone else comes in, I'm like, ah! Yeah. It just screws it all up. <laughs> yeah, so this is weird. This is like the first time we've ever kind of gone through anything like this, like a global scale thing. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, there was... Uh, whatever you call it, MRSA, SARS, and yeah, but like H one N one, all that. This MERS, did it, not MRSA. You weren't worried about like no. we weren't like worried about your family with that, right? You know, you weren't concerned. You know, we, you weren't seeing like sports things being um, I know, canceled it, because or this a is the part that makes back. this is the part that makes me feel like it's a media thing. I mean, forty to fifty million people died with SARS and MERS. You know, that's a huge amount of people. And yet, like, you know, I didn't get it. I didn't know anyone that got it, so I'm good. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to play the devil's a, the devil's advocate here. I think one thing about the coronavirus that's tough is, is I, I don't know, like, how is it more easily spread than, say, you hear SARS or MERS? Well, the, the reason why is uh, there's elements of it being airborne longer than what they originally thought. And... Um, he said this the the one guy that I was listening to said it's the peak. So you might have by the Chinese draconian, you know, 4 weeks in your home with the doors shut, that might be over and that might have contained it, but it's still in the places. So unless those places are hospital level, you know, disinfected when people return to their jobs in the factories and all that stuff, it'll it'll kick right back up again. There's a town that was quarantined completely in italy and they said that in two weeks they haven't or one week one week or two weeks they now have zero cases zero new cases so they beat it ish but you know it still exists yeah <laughs> you know waiting to get picked kicked back up and there's no symptoms when you it has a long incubation period so for the time you contract it to the time you manifest symptoms it can be up to two weeks so that's a that's a big thing with that i don't necessarily think this is like that it is a media hyped thing. Yeah. I do wonder, like, basically, it's good that, like, we're willing to cancel sports things so people don't die. Yeah. I do wonder if then it's everyone's take and reaction to that that causes it to become more of a bigger deal than it should be. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so perhaps we should cut back on large attended events, events with over a thousand people and really just be careful with how we go about doing those things more often and not be so attached to them and act like it's the, it's the end of the world, but it's the end of the world to us because this has never happened. Yeah. They may cancel. So, uh, um, Emily goes to the Kentucky Derby every year because her and her friends love to drink, and it's a fun uh, drinking event. And uh, um, they just drink and, mint juleps the whole time. Oh yeah, and they wear big ass hats and do all their yeah. It's oh, a huge thing. So and I'm never invited, but it's fine. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, or am I, Emily? Or am I? And yeah. so he's uh, a successful podcaster now. <laughs> Policy yeah. Genius has an ad on this show. That's right. Uh, I'm going places. If there's one thing we humans aren't great at, it's predicting the future. Just take a look around. No amount of crystal balls or fortune cookies could have predicted the world we're living in right now. What? But unpredictability is also what makes life interesting. The trick is to enjoy the ride without worrying about what's right around the corner. Yeah. One way to worry less is to get the right life insurance. That's where Policy Genius can help. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. You could save 1500 bucks or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape for free. And Policy Genius doesn't just make finding life insurance easy. They can help you with the right home and auto insurance or even disability. So if you haven't yet found the play-by-play breakdown of your future inside of a crystal ball or a cookie, that's okay. Be prepared for anything with life insurance. In just a few minutes, you can find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Policy Genius. We always get the future wrong. Better get life insurance right. Thanks to our friends at Policy Genius for sponsoring this show. So they have never canceled the the Kentucky Derby even during the Second World War. Uh-huh. And they might have they might have to cancel it for like this. And that's kind of like a, that's kind of an an insane thing. Yeah. Of course, the, like my response was to say that um, that the Chinese did what Hitler could not. And then I felt bad. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> the Chinese did what Hitler could not. Wow, what's that? Uh, stop the uh, Kentucky, Kentucky Derby. Derby. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh! Well, my family has an obsession with trying to one up the other one, so we're all trying to make like little dings and dongs, and that sounded weird. Dings and dongs. Let's, let's move we're, on. We're all trying to make dongs. The Luke Carey story <laughs> went like, yeah. I, I, but I mean, I am like, I'm nervous. I am nervous for my grandmother, though. You know, there aren't any cases uh-huh. of it out out in you know Arizona yet, but she's 83, and she's precious to me. You know, I I am nervous for like all of our donors and people that I've met who are older, who are just wonderful people, and like you know, people who are at a nursing home. That's got to be terrifying. Like, imagine being at a nursing home right now. That has to be terrifying. Yeah, you know, my dad is seventy two. Um, he's a smoker and a drinker, and he has skin cancer, basal cell skin cancer. And he and my mom are flying to Florida in a couple days to go hang out with his brother, and I'm like. You sure you are you sure you want to do that? You sure you want to do that, Dad? <laughs> like, you're you are the risk factor, you know. Like, this is no joke. Yeah, I feel fine. Yeah. Did you really just say that? I just said the incubation period. I'll be fine. <laughs> All right, just update your will. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, man. Life is wonderful, huh? Yeah, I'm just, I'm super nervous. I'm super nervous because my sweet Cecilia, right? She's got a little autoimmune issue going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just, you don't want to hear the stories of like, you know, people with compromised immune systems. And I don't know how compromised hers is, but it, it, it you know, red food coloring makes her go nuts. So, you know, she, she has eczema. She has all this stuff because of the environment. And I'm just like, ah. So we had to tell the we told the kids today at the dinner table about the coronavirus, and they were like, "Kids at gymnastics were talking about it. Like they might not go to school. What is it?" And then we started telling them, "My Cecilia, right? The you know who has so much anxiety. Yeah. She started crying, and she's like, I wish you oh, never told me girl. about this.'" And I was like, "Well, honey, oh, poor girl. I don't know what else to do. I was like, don't cry, just ask questions." Remember, knowledge kills anxiety or produces it in smart kids who can make connections that you don't want them to make. <laughs> make. Yeah, I know. I know. I realize that with like Aaron at certain times, whenever her anxiety kicks in and I like say something um, where I'm trying to like help her out, all of a sudden I just like go, oh my gosh, I've just made this worse. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's no fighting it. I have a nephew who's about to be born in a month. And it's just scary, you know. Yeah, and and I, and I know it doesn't. It hasn't, as far as I can tell, doesn't impact infants or um, newborn babies or anything. But it's still just like, yeah, you know. Um, my mom's gonna be coming in like the day before he's due, and so how's that gonna work? You know. Yeah. Yeah, you're just gonna yeah. have to zip her up in a hazmat suit, put a respirator Speaking on her the- face. Make her uh, make her go to the hospital dressed like that. Go, Jude. I love you. Uh, Did you know that like one of the top movies on Netflix is Outbreak right now? You know how they (laughs) get to the top ten? We call that Zeitgeist, ladies and gentlemen. That is God bless America (laughs) because that's been on on my mind. Dustin Hoffman, save me. (laughs) He's like, no, no, I'll save Tom and Rita Hanks. (laughs) <laughs> yes, no, I'll be like, oh my gosh, yes, please, oh God, save them first. They're in quarantine in Australia. <sighs> my uh, friend Sorry. Melissa had a tweet that said, please take away, please take all of our toilet paper, just save Tom Hanks. Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Who said that? Um, her name's Melissa. She is a friend of mine from here in, in um, Cincinnati. Uh, this woman, Chloe, said the funniest thing the other day. She said, uh, I'm not giving the sign of peace to you because of the coronavirus. I'm doing it because there's no more toilet paper left in our state. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to shake your hand because, yeah. whoopsie, no toilet yeah. paper. Let's be honest. If, and if you're a person who wants to give the sign of peace to a person because you don't care about this, screw you. Did you see, like, the, that is did so you see the Dolan thing, the Cardinal Dolan thing? I heard about it. I didn't. I did okay. not see it. Let's exchange with each other the sign of peace. How about we not uh, just make yeah. just just smile at each other? It is liturgically optional. So I don't get that. It's so not. liturgically optional. Just don't do it. And I will it's come ever closer wonderful. to my it's dream. Wonderful, yeah, it's, it's so wonderful. beautiful. See you uh, later, can't... chalices. See you later, Eat... sign of peace. I know. Even as a kid, I was always like, "Why do we have to do this?" And uh, <laughs> I just, I like. The only people who enjoy it are older boomers who are now like, yes, Massa, it's now fun. <laughs> Take that, Dad. 
Uh, Can't wait till we hold hands here in the Our Father. Oh, wait, I'm doing it right now. Oh, here comes <laughs> the best part where we raise our hands high at the end of the Our Father and then give him a little squeeze we'll before squeeze we let go. to show that we really mean it. Yeah. Like, I don't really pray or believe any of this, but... Mm. <laughs> Our Father, Mother... <laughs> Boy, does this feel good. Take that dad who made me go to mass with a priest had like a cast, and I was scared of God. Mm. <laughs> I'm not scared of God anymore. God's scared of me. <laughs> <laughs> Boomer Catholicism. <laughs> Confusing imminence for transcendence since 1949. What? <laughs> oh, man. Sense. Yeah, you know, it was really funny. I had a parishioner come up to me one time, and he said, Mike, I have two questions for you. And I said, okay. And he goes, a guy was asking, uh, or he put forth this statement that we're not allowed to um, hold hands during the Our Father because it's not liturgically appropriate. And uh, so my questions are, is that true? And if it is true, I think that's ridiculous, and the church is wrong. And I was like, oh, the second one wasn't a question. And shows that you have a a long way to go, buddy. Long way to go. Can my friend um, Luke talk to you about the importance of receptivity? No? Fair enough. Hey, well, the good news is I was going to prepare some stuff, but then all this coronavirus stuff happened and Tom Hanks, so now I got nothing. Luke, can we talk about our last episode and how I discovered something that is Uh, incredible? That... Instead of instead of like listening to me, you went and did other stuff. And if you would actually almost listen to me, you would have realized we've had I would have had a good thing to actually talk about. Go on. Oh, you mean where you break down <laughs> an incredibly complex hour long <laughs> podcast plus two years of you talking about this and say, "Hey, uh, there's a Google Doc." Anywho. <laughs> Give me no time to prepare just, when you kidding. were so prepared. <laughs> no, I went back and listened to it when I was editing it. I loved last week's episode. I really did. I loved it. And I loved your little random way to, not random way, but like not non-traditional way of applying acedia to like office work and, and not mm-hmm. having a budget and all that stuff. I thought that was so fascinating. So then... Um, I end up doing a retreat for a parish staff. And whenever you do retreats for parish staffs, the first thing you notice is how everyone brings their phone and they set it right next to their lap on the couch or chair or whatever because they want to look at it the whole time. And they don't want anyone to know that they're looking at their phone and checking their email. And so I, I start off. I mean, it happens every single time. People on parish staffs have the hardest time disconnecting because like every knowledge worker in the world our job is whatever email says it is that morning, you know? Like, that's what we do for the day. Mm -hmm. I remember someone was talking to me, and they are like, oh, man, I can't wait to do what you do. I would love to be an evangelist at a parish. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me disabuse you of any romance. I'm in meetings for, like, 20% of my day, and the rest is mostly email. Like, I'm doing what everyone else is doing. But um, So I started saying this, and I said, you know... And a third of that is me just on Twitter. Yeah, I said, you know, our addiction to busyness and i did this the i I went and i listened to the talk that you referenced i listened to it twice i got um evagoras apontis's um a couple of his writings i couldn't get the practicals where that comes from but um i read a bunch of synopses of it from the orthodox church and, and catholic authors i watched that you know father mike schmidt's video which i spliced into the into the thing and i'm like okay this this 
has so much relevance for our lives. Father Mike had that great line where he said, you know, the eight deadly sins of Evagoras. He said, you know, some of us might struggle with this one or that one, but we all struggled with acedia. And I was like, yeah, man, Luke really nailed it. Like, really nailed it on the head. See? What is a huge problem? And so thus, I am required. Carry 83 at at um, uh, gmail.com to come out to your church to speak. Luke Carey 83 at gmail.com to come out to your, your church to speak. Go on. Yeah. Go on. I am forced to admit, Luke, you are brilliant. Woo! I didn't ever want to say these words, especially not documented. But in the words of Dave Van Vickle, oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud. See, say it. Say it. That, he said, see, that's why I love Luke. He's so smart, but he makes these earthy connections that other people wouldn't make. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. You're right. The Dave Van Vickle seal of approval. My life is complete. Take that. I'm going to start to list all my ex-girlfriends where it ended (laughs) bitterly. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You hear that? Therese, I made something of myself. (laughs) You see it? I'm smart. I'm smart. I'm smart. Think I'm smart. I was stepped over. <laughs> it ain't how I wanted it. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I, I finished editing that episode, and I, I d- had to do it really quick because I had to prepare for a trip that I left on Thursday. So I had it all done on Wednesday, and, um, but I was listening to it you know, and trying to edit here and there after we recorded. And then I got a new audio book. Luke, have you seen the audio book? Can't hurt me. Oh, I've no, but I've I've seen those guys talk. So it's phenomenal. Oh my goodness! Go on. This man, David Goggins, is the antid is is Acedia's worst enemy. Like the whole thing of his audiobook. Now he's he's a crazy guy. He says I'm the hardest man God ever created. That's his whole like thing. He did the Buds Week, which is or Buds Training, which has Hell Week. He did Hell Week three times. He did Army Ranger School training. He did Delta Force training. The guy, and and he's an ultra marathoner and all this stuff. He does hard things because he wants the his mind to be mentally tough. So he loves pain and suffering, not for its own sake, but because of his toughness and response. So for me, that's why I want to become a Navy SEAL. I wanted people to push me outside of my comfort zone every day. You know, and I thought this was going to be the absolute best platform to do that. These guys, the stories I heard after Buds, it just gets harder. And I didn't see it that way. Because Buds is just to become the seal. That's right. right? I'm like, my God, I can't imagine what the fuck's going to happen. But what happens to a lot of people, not everybody, can't speak for everybody, I don't know everybody. Buds breaks people down to the point where you don't want to be broken down again like that. To me... That was exactly the exact starting point for my journey in life. That was the starting point for me. For a lot of people, it's the finish line. And I didn't see it that way for me. So that's where I started becoming uncommon amongst uncommon people. And I'm reading, I'm listening to this audiobook, and I'm going out on, on, on these walks and I'm, you know, just listening to all this stuff. And it is as if he sat down with a vagarist and said, This is great. Let me get rid of all the religious stuff. And keep the kind of like the psychological side, a little bit of the spiritual side. So the perfect guy for our times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why Joe Rogan had him on the show. But um, 
I I listened to this guy and I was like, yes, this is this is a, this is a secular, uh, like this is like the a philosophical version. I don't want to say secular. This is like a philosophical version. Might as well of what is the noonday devil. If the noonday devil is, I'm bored, uh, and then I start picturing the future of like, oh, it's drudgery and it's going to be like this forever. But but maybe if I did this and did that, he's like, no. You just look at that pain and you embrace it. And he just gives you this model of how to stay present in the pain and suffering and realize the only way you'll ever be great is on the other side. And I loved that book. I'm on my second huh. list. I just finished it. Really? Uh, I, yeah. I just finished it a couple of days ago and I'm going right back through it immediately. Uh, it, I might make that my next Audible um, purchase. Yes. Thanks, Ex- Exodus 90. <laughs> yeah, so what he does is, uh, you know, you, you stop making the compromises, right? Like, that's his big thing. He's like, if you say you want to lose weight, you have to focus on the goal, and you have to do the thing. If you say, so he lost 106 pounds in three months. Oh, geez. Yeah, so he, 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 he needed to get into the military because he wanted to become a Navy SEAL. He was almost 300 pounds, and the guy's like, we won't accept you unless you're under this. And he had muscle. Like, he used to go to the gym and lift, lift heavy, but he was also really fat. And so he's like, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what I need. He just did the math. Like, you know, a, a, a pound of fat is 3,300 calories. This is how much physical exercise I have to do. This is how much food I have to keep eating in order to stay alive. But in order to lose weight, this is how restrictive I have to be. So he went to Walmart and bought a cheap-ass cycle, right, you know, the stationary bike, because he couldn't physically really run on his knees and his ankles because he's so overweight. So he would wake up at, like, 4 a.m. and ride for, like, two hours. Then he'd go to a pool and swim for two hours. And then he would come back, and he would ride for, like, three hours, and then he'd try to go for a jog. And he would do this fanatically. He said one day, he's like, I would be so sore, I would just stare at my running shoes at, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning. And I would just look at him, and he's like, and I couldn't get up and do it. But then that's where the mental toughness started coming in because he just said, I'm going to do it. I just, my body hurts so much. I can't do it right this second, but I will not go to bed until it's done. And so he'll tell stories about, like, he has to do 12, uh, he he would do, like, 1,000 pull-ups or 800 pull-ups in his gym workout. And he's doing them, and he would get to, like, 799, and he's in so much pain, he would just drop. And that last push-up or pull-up would just haunt him all day. And then he would circle back and he would go back to the gym. But he said, I have to do the whole routine over again. I can't just do one. I have to do the whole routine over again. And he's oh, like, I'm not. Yeah, but his whole thing was, it's not like I'm punishing myself. Like, you're a piece of shit. It's like, I have this very specific goal of being mentally tough. That was a failure at mental toughness. So I'm going to go back through it, and I'm going to try this again, and I will win. And so his whole thing, his like MO, is most of us only hit the 40% mark. And our brain tells our body, it's too much, this hurts, take it easy. And he said, but we actually have, if we can just push through that first set of like negations, on the other side of it is 60% of our energy. So when I speak, I speak from passion. I speak from experience. I, I, I speak from suffering. I have to tell this young man or woman that the only way I believe, and this is this is my experience in life, the only way you're ever going to get to the other side of this journey is you have got to suffer, to grow. To grow, you must suffer. And 
Some people will get it and some people won't. But they have to see what their journey is to start their journey. Several people live to be 100 years old and they have great lives and they have great kids. Their kids go to college and all sorts of stuff. But somewhere in their life, there was a point where they had a decision to make. They can go left or right on this path. Left was the easy route. Right was the hard route. A lot of people take the easy route. And they had a good life that way, but the better life was going to the right side. And you may have 20 years of pain and suffering to get past it, but a lot of us die never truly starting our journey. And I would tell this young person, you got to start your journey. It may suck, but it will. It will come out the other side where you're coasting. I'll tell you, one of the best feelings I've ever felt, I did this hard-ass workout. And the person that, who, was my, uh, who was my trainer at the time, this is 2011, I think. Pre-stroke. Oh, Oh, yeah, pre-show. Pre I couldn't do any of these things now. I had to bench press like 12 times. Oh, God, okay. I'm trying to remember on what it was. Bench press 12, power clean 12, and then do like this ab crunch thing, almost like almost like a V. Like I would like I'm turn my body into, into a V 12 times. And there may have been um, one more added into that. I had to do it like 12 by 12. Oh, well, yeah. And it was just this gauntlet of like she didn't tell me it was going to be hard. I was like, "Wait, we're, this is so hard!" Like she, she goes, "Yeah, this is uh, this is all that we're doing." <laughs> and like this is it, and it was horrible. It was, I mean, on there was there wasn't anything about it that was like because you know, like when you I'm working out, like, oh man, this is like burns, but this feels so good. It was just this like, I want to die. <laughs> Somebody kill me, please. I'm on my knees. Pretty, pretty, please kill me. <laughs> I want to die. Put a bullet in my, you know, like that that whole thing. Um, it was awful. I think I had to do like a, like my, like like squats, power cleans, and then maybe some, some like push-ups as well. It was just, but then when I was done with that, I, I, I remember having this feeling of like, I never want to do that again, but I just did that. Yeah. I just did that. Holy crap. And then in um in high school, and then now this is really interesting. In high school, when I when I played football, this was my this oh it was my sophomore year. So we do our like practice thing, you know, and we're like all in the beginning and we're like we we um we like have a two day and all of a sudden all of the coaches start to talk about like a fighting Scott. Like we're like a fighting Scott. What the, what the hell are you talking about? And so we start to do our own little thing and we, and we, then we go off into our uh, own individual position drills and we're doing our like morning thing. And they stop and go, all right, it's time to do the fighting Scott. We're like, what? So we get on the end zone line and he goes, Oh line. And I'm like, ah, F, F you know, like, we're 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 about we're about to go and um run and we have to we run like full pads and he goes all right ten yards us I am I'm, I I am sorry one hundred yards there and back ten times and I was like well this is horrible <laughs> but 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 I can do this like I can do this I can do this I can do this and so we go and and we do it and it's hard everyone else cheering us on. And then we stop, and he goes, all right, 90 yards nine times. And you just see yeah. the look on everyone else's face yeah. because they realize, oh, my gosh, you guys have to do this. We have to watch you do this, and then we have and to do we it. have to do <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. And so it was like there and back one, there and back two. And then you go like 80 yards eight, you know, and like you are dead. It's basically an entire game 
high school game, like all the energy that you would need yeah. in one big thing. Yeah. And now here's the funny part. That was exhausting. And we were like, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I don't ever want to have to. I'm, I don't ever want to have to do this again. Then we did it again the next year. And now this was like a week or so. Like I quit the very next day, but I was totally in on on like on like on this day, and we did it. And I was I was mentally like prepped to be able to go and um, do it, and it was easier. Like somehow, now I was also in better shape, so there was that. But we were all because I was just improving as an athlete and stuff. Um, it was honestly, I was, I was like one of the best offensive, I'm one of the best offensive linemen. I was like, usually I'm the last. This is very confusing. <laughs> um, how do you reach younger members who prefer text messages and don't use email because they're smart and aren't annoying boomers? If someone is missing during a weekend, they don't get a bulletin and are in the dark. Oh, no, the dark. Making your emails beautiful. Who the f*** has the time? Product Silbo. That's who. Silbo. The fastest and easiest way to reach your parish. Send beautiful emails and text messages. To those millennials. Schedule your messages. You can even import your um, list or let people sign up lightning fast on their smartphone. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop. Get up and running in 10 minutes. Which is six times as long as Gomer needs. Gorgeous email templates help you lead with the beautiful. Thanks, Bishop Barron and your friends that could kick my butt if they wanted to because I made fun of their gigantic muscles in every picture now that we always see on, on Facebook. It's a little bit weird. Awesome analytics. See your impact via stats and graphs. Special offer. Oh, this is cool. Free- oh, this wow. is cool. This is cool. You read this, Luke. Special offer 500 free sign-up cards for your pews when you use the Catching Foxes link. Get silbo.com slash foxes 500 free sign-up cards for your pews when you use the i'm catching foxes link get them silbo.com slash foxes that's fantastic because we all know one thing about foxes they like to get silbo still not convinced we offer live training for all of our parishes love your communication again silbo the um, fastest and easiest way to reach your parish mm-hmm. that's g-e-t-s-i-l-b-o.com slash foxes baby one more time for the kids g-e-t S-I-L-B-O dot com slash foxes. Third time for my lady friend. It's just my wife, Erin. <laughs> no. Thank you to the good people at One Parish for allowing us to destroy your nice bullet points for, for this ad and for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Now, think about that, though, with the coaches. And they were talking about it because they're playing mind games with you, right? Like, yeah, they yeah. want you. Like what, what is it called again? What was the drill called? The Fighting Scott. The Fighting Scott, right? So they're mentioning it, and it gets you all being like, what, what, what is he talking about? What, I have no idea what that means. What does that mean? I don't know. And it, so they're playing mind games with you, and then you go, and they tell you what it is, and they do it deliberately, right? They tell you 10 times 100 yards, now 9 times 90 yards. And all of that is a mind game in order to mess with your head, right? Like, mm-hmm. And make yep. you just, yep. okay, mind over matter, I got to do it. But it's even more of a mind game with the people who are waiting <laughs> to do it and <laughs> yeah. are watching you guys be like, no. And it's so funny. So he has, David Goggins has this thing called taking souls. And he kind of refined this tactic when he was in the SEALs during the training. So they have to hold their boats over their head. And mm-hmm. and they have mm-hmm. to do all these drill drills in the freezing cold water off Coronado and all this stuff. And they're doing all this and they're and they're doing a thousand scissor kicks where they lay on their back and they have to 
pick oh their legs, gosh. and they yeah. do a thousand of them. And then they make them go sit in the water almost to the point of that, hypothermia. That is what I had to do when I was doing that, uh, that one um, workout. Oh. It, it, it was the scissor kicks. The scissor kicks. Yeah. That was so funny. I was yeah. going to say that. And so, because uh, I read, I don't do them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, and he's saying all this, and he looks at the guys, and he's at the front of the boat, and the front of the boat's heavier. And he's looking, and he's the boat captain, and he sees the guys, the and they're just loving torture. You know, they're drinking hot coffee, you know, in front of everyone. Yeah, the officers oh, yeah, yeah. in charge of buds training, and they're they're doing all that, and the guys, everyone's just miserable. And it's like, hold your, you got to hold your boat up. And so he was like, let's take their freaking souls, right? And just to let you know, audiobook warning, it is nothing but f bombs, and it is, and it doesn't feel like awful it like yeah this that was the mf is totally the right phrase you need to say it's like a good catching foxes episode <laughs> so i'm in the front of the boat and i tell our guys this is what we're going to do the boat was like on our heads so it was we're supposed to lift the boats up above our head that's all you gotta do but when you're this weak you're this fragile you're this tired the boat's heavy so there's a thing you can do when you do boat presses you can get the boat and like just toss it up Toss it up and catch it. And that shows like you're jacked up. So everybody's holding the boat and they're shaking and the boat's starting to come down their head and all the boat crews are all lined up and they're fucked up. And I'm looking at that and I turn around my boat and I say, hey guys, it's time to fucking take some souls. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I said, we're going to get, I go, you see all these fucking instructors out here all in their fucking jackets and drinking coffee and laughing and smiling and shit. I want their fucking faces to go straight up fucking numb. So we're going to do this. We're going to start boat pressing this motherfucker. Just take my lead. Trust me. You'll get energy from it. We start throwing this boat up in the fucking air, catching it, throwing it up and catching it. And we start yelling, can't hurt fucking boat crew too. We're yelling our fucking ass off and we're doing it. And they make a stop. Like, like, like what the fuck? Like, stop. And so they start singing. Uh, he starts singing the music to Rocky. And they start grabbing the boat. Or is it Rocky? No, it was Platoon. It was Platoon. Where, um, <laughs> when, uh, what's his name? There was a firefight guy, Willem Dafoe, when he gets killed. Yeah, yeah. And killed, they get yeah. the boat, and they're throwing it in the air and catching it and throwing it in the air. And all of a sudden, by doing that, they pass that 40% barrier, right? They're going through. Now, they're just as tired as everyone else. But he said, when you see the light go out in the other guy's eye, when they see you haven't been defeated... He said it gives you this energy. So he calls it taking yeah. souls. He's like, That's I just awesome. robbed them of their power over That's me. Awesome, I took really. it into myself. <laughs> and he's, and, well, they, know, and like, their boat finished first every single time he was in charge of a boat. So it's like that's how extreme it is. And their faces literally look like someone like just like took their soul out. I know where their mm-hmm. minds were. Like they were thinking about themselves. Like what the fuck just happened, man? I know me on Wednesday. I couldn't have done that. How are they doing it? So the rest of the time, going through Hell Week, it was like we just we, owned it. we owned it. Right. Boat crew too. We we won every single race. We were just dominating, and um, it was a it was a strong boat crew, and that's where Taking Souls is. Uh, there's a few Taking Souls stories, but that's one of them. Yeah, that was one of the weird parts of the Fighting Scott. Was I think the second time we did it now. Granted, I was in much better shape. Like, I just, as an athlete, I really did undevelop. Kind of makes me wonder, like, I really wish I could have seen what I could have done if I had played, but it's fine. Um, 
I was I was benching like two seventy five. Oh, that's awesome! And I was seventeen. I know. Okay. So, anyways, um, <laughs> it's what killed me. Been? I was like, I was, I, I was, I'm repping with two forty fives on each side. And I was like, like I'm, even, I'm so strong right now. I um, bet I could throw this football over those mountains. <laughs> <laughs> oh, glory days. Okay, yep. but it was like I we like we knew that we could do it because we had done it a year before. Yeah, and there was just this like. I remember there was this collective spirit of, like, we can do this. Like, we can do this. And it just, like, it wasn't as bad that 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 time. It was really, yeah. It's, what do you, um, how do you justify, like, because it is so easy to, you know, you could, to try to read that book and do this stuff without God. Yeah. So how do you try to reconcile that? Yeah, it's very funny because I can't turn that off. Like, that's why this podcast is what it is, because we can't talk about culture without encountering God in all of it, whether he's rejected mm-hmm. or being run to or, yep. you know. And so um, David Goggins' mom was Catholic, a devout Catholic, married uh, or actually the, moved in with a man. He refused to marry her on purpose so she couldn't get any of his money. Um, Rick James's best friend, who was this guy was the most sadistic man on the face of the earth. I mean, he used to beat the hell out of her. Um, oh, and, and so the the whole point of the story is they worked insanely grueling hours as four and five year olds in this house at a skating rink in the middle of like the funk disco era in Buffalo in the ghetto in Buffalo. But they were making twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a night. Well, his family never saw a dime of it. It just the dad spent it all. Oh and, man! And the, he was friends with O.J. Simpson. The Buffalo Bills used to come into the thing, and they they had a bar above the skating rink, and it was like the place to be and uh and so he had he had this horrific childhood and all this stuff that he had to overcome and and go for what what was the thing that you said what was the question that you said like how do, how do you reconcile this with god yeah when you just yeah yeah so he believes in god he in fact he ends the whole book being like i was raised catholic i'm not really catholic anymore and i don't care what you are and i don't care he's like Ultimately, what got me through everything was God and the belief that even though my life is shit and I think he's causing it to be shit right now, I think that he knows what he's doing. And for that, that was for him. Right. And then he says, Hmm, yeah, sure. um, And then he says, I went and I, I do this mental thing in my head where I imagine I'm dead. And I'm standing in front of God at the pearly gates, and I'm in this long line, and God has a checklist, a document on every person. He's pulling it out and going through it. So this guy mm-hmm. does like a lot of like what we would call Ignatian composition of places, right? He like is essentially meditating using his imagination, but it's non-prayer, right? And so he says, he yep. imagines, he gets up there, it's his turn, and God's going through this, and he says, um, you know, because he was this overweight guy, and he worked for Ecolab, which, like, kills rats in fast food restaurants and stuff. And he left that job to go – he quit everything in order to go train to become a Marine – or uh, a Navy SEAL. But he says, um, imagine if I walked up there, and I weighed 300 pounds. You know, I worked that job my whole life. I never became a SEAL, never did ranger training, never ran ultra marath- ultra marathons, ultra whatever. He said – and God, and I'm talking to God, and God says, look at all the things you could have done. Yeah. You could have been 176 pounds. You could have gained, you know, 50 pounds of muscle. You could have done blah, 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 but you didn't. And so he says, he's like, so that's what drives me. And then he ends it by saying, but 
I also want to shock God and be like, God be looking at the list and being like, holy shit, you did all this stuff too? Right? Like, I want to make that MF or be like, whoa. So you're like, eh, okay, God's definitely in your image and likeness and you're not in his. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that happened, and this is my tie-in and I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk because um, I can't help it. I'm no, rereading. No, no, this is great. I'm rereading one of the most important books of my entire life. Um, if if someone asked me, and actually we did have this on the show, and we had Jackie and Bobby um, Angel on the show, Jackie Francois. Oh yeah, um, that was great. And I said that we talked about our favorite Peter Crave books, and I said it was Three Philosophies of Life, and she's like, "That was mine." That book, I didn't realize. Like I read that in like uh, the year two thousand. I bought my the own copy. Two thousand. I bought my own copy in two thousand and one. That I, you know, instead of like a big boy, like a big boy, instead of stealing it from my parents. And was that at Franciscan? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought it for the precious, precious mothership. Yeah, and I read through it, and honestly, that book laid the foundation for so much of who I am that I had forgotten. And so I'm, you know, I'm listening to David Goggins book and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a hard thing. It is very difficult for me to focus. Like when I'm on an airplane, I'm all over the place. It's hard for me to focus. I just want to close my eyes, play music, play an audiobook, go to sleep, whatever. I'm not going to go to sleep until, and I'm going to read every single page until we land. Right. So I, I didn't stop. I was even timing myself between like when I get distracted and like look around and I'm like, I can go for longer. I can go for, and I was reading this. Ecclesiastes, life is vanity. Job, life is suffering. I would say if you could take how Dr. Peter Kraft talked about those two things, he experienced his earlier life as life is vanity. Like there's no point. This is awful. Everything is terrible. But then he shifted and he embraced suffering. And it was in the middle of suffering. I would say that this man is the embodiment of like a Job-like figure. All of this awfulness has happened to him. And the suffering, a Job-like figure in the way that Peter Kraft breaks it down, the way that he internalizes suffering into a life philosophy, you know, it's not stoicism. This guy is not indifferent. He's like, this effing sucks. I hate all this stuff, but I'm going to become hard because of it. I guess it's somewhat stoic. But um, I, I just found it so fascinating to the point where I was like, I'm going to buy another copy and just try to send it to the guy. Oh, cool. Because I think awesome. he would, I, I honestly think he would look at this and be like, in a way, this is my life story. Dude, you should hold, have you already bought it? No. You should you need to do that tomorrow. Okay, I will. Do it. And then invite him onto the show. Yeah, no. The the and guy he, could, he self he, he wrote the book, he had a ghostwriter. He loved his ghostwriter. They became really good friends. So they recorded the uh, the audiobook together. He was going to sell the book rights for $300,000 and he felt he he's like really vulnerable in the book, like bringing up all these like horrible stories. And he said, "No, I I have to own my own story." So he self published, and it became, you know, multiple multiple. I mean, it's made millions for him. And now they're doing the audio book, and the audio book is they sat in, they rented out the studio space, and they sat in two separate booths, and the main guy recorded the audio book, and then he would interrupt him, you know, every at a good stopping point, and they would just discuss. So it was a cross between a podcast and an audio book. And then every chapter has a challenge for you to do it. And he has a great voice. I thought, I was like, why isn't he narrating this? His whole point is, I want to have the, uh, someone else narrate it because this isn't about my life. It's using my life to change your life. 
And so that's why he wants someone else's. He actually, I want a white guy's voice because he's black, right? And he's like, I want a white guy's. I want someone else's voice in order to voice this so you can stop thinking like, oh, well, that's, that's fine for him. That's David Goggins, you know? Huh. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. That's, that's awesome. The, I, I, okay, so I put the, I'm going for a walk around my block and then, uh, at my church. I do it every day now. And my just wait time out very quick. Yeah. Does this guy do the ketogenic diet? Uh, I mean, that's not. I mean, he does, but that's not like a thing that he talks okay. about okay. ever. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he'll be on Carnivore soon. I got other books <laughs> to send him. Uh, <laughs> my other religion. No, so I while go, you're here, so I got a book on fire. I got a book on Carnivore, <laughs> and I got a book on Jesus. If you synthesize these books, you have my life. For the next six months. <laughs> and if you want, I'm very willing to get back into Tolkien again for you. <laughs> <laughs> How funny. I just queued up The Hobbit. Anyway. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Luke, you know uh, me too well. It's scary. It's a little ridiculous. So because I've lost a lot of weight, I've... You look um, great, by the way. Thank I, you. I was, I was going to tell you, you look very, very good. Thank you. <laughs> if only we were in the same state. Um, <laughs> Shannon! <laughs> Luke, I'd look forward to giving you coronavirus. Uh, <laughs> as soon as you start, I was like, where are you going with this? Uh, oh, well, there it is. well played. There it is. Um, no, so I, I, I go for a walk around the perimeter, and I try to walk a mile uh, at a time. It takes, you know, just at a, a nice walk. I don't want to come in all sweaty. And um, because I've lost all this weight, I've been able to fit in my dress clothes that I haven't been able to wear for, like, uh, basically a year. I mean, a little bit less than that, but... Um, and so I put it on and my wife texted me and she said, Hey, we're all going to meet over at Chick-fil-A because it's our friend's daughter's birthday today. And let's just get all the kids together and they're all going to play at Chick-fil-A. You my Chick-fil-A. Exactly. And my kids, they were out doing something. So they drove over there and I'm listening to this and, uh, he just starts and he's going through all the, all the, like the pre, like, you know how you kind of like tell the conclusion of the story first. And then it's like. Now let's talk about how we got there. I'm listening to all this stuff, and I'm getting so pumped. I just go, and I haven't done this in a long time. I just do a dead sprint in my <laughs> on the sidewalk, and the Chick-fil-A is like, I don't know. It's like uh, maybe three-quarters of a mile away from my church building. And so I just do a, a, a dead sprint, and then I can't. And then I'm like huffing and puffing and walking. And I just go the whole way. Instead of driving, I, I you know, I ran it i guess and i'm like crying because now i get to the part in the audiobook where he's talking about his childhood and just get like watching his mom literally at one point he says he just started wailing on her face and then he grabbed her by the hair and drug her down the stairs and he was six Ugh. and that's when he said enough is enough and he jumped at his dad and, and just sort of he scratched his dad's face all this stuff and his dad beat him like he's never beat him before and he oh, said i, oh, I was Lord so happy i did that you know and he always took care of his mother from that point on, even though they both got beat severely. So I'm like crying. I go into Jack in the Box, get five Jack in the Box patties, eat them crying in the Jack in the Box, <laughs> and then like wipe my eyes off, throw <laughs> some water in my face, and then walk over like, to the Chick-fil-A. The grease feels so good in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it burns, but it also moisturizes. Um, <laughs> with the burning. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Uh, so then I go over to the Chick-fil-A, and then my wife pulls Neither up. does coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the coronavirus was burned out. Um, yeah, and it was so funny because I just sat there and they were like, where'd you come from? And I was like, I ran. <laughs> I ran. How funny is that? I ran. I have so much energy, Luke. I'm going to stop talking about it right now. But the book is, the book, he keeps saying, I don't want to motivate you. 
motivation lasts until you're upset or the weather's too hot or it's too cold and I'm not going to do it. He goes, I'm not here to motivate you. I want you to become obsessed. That's what I want. I, I want you to be more than driven because the people who get motivated, they put on their headphones and they listen to their smooth jazz and they go out and they do oh, something. Oh, I do. <laughs> he goes, they go out and they do something to make them feel good. I want mm-hmm. you to go out and do something when it makes you feel bad, but you know you should do it. And I was like, Yeah, that's but my good life. sir, my Kenny G makes me feel so good while I'm thinking about doing other things. <laughs> but it just kept pulling me back to the Acedia stuff because it's yeah, like, what, what it's is the real, one thing man. you really need to do? It's this thing, but I'm going to mm-hmm. do these eight other things, and I'm going to give all these excuses why I can't do that one thing. Well, and how much of it is just – this is what I keep going back to. How much of it is just it, – it is motivated by control, right? I want to have control of it. And I think that's like one of the hardest things that I'm trying to reconcile in my life is how much I acknowledge I'm driven by fear and how much all, like all, all of us are. And there are some people, you know, so, okay. I heard this interview with this one guy that I knew of in um, high school. I had met him like a handful of times, but I I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say we were, uh, we were friends or all by, you know, any means. Was it Bob Rice? No, no, no. It was not Bob Rice. Bob, I love Bob Rice. The, the first time, this is how much I thought, like, as an early high school kid, Catholic speakers were celebrities, but, like, cool celebrities that I liked who I could, like, access and yeah. could also be like, vulnerable with. When he was hosting his first Steubenville, almost, Steubenville conference, he had, I think he was, like, the uh, character the year before. Yeah. I went up to him. I said, you're doing a great job. And I shook his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I want to affirm you. Great job, Bob. So he was like, thanks, fatty. I was like, oh, I'm in good shape now. But in a few years, that'll make sense. Um, no. Uh, where am I going with this? Oh, okay. So there's this guy that I heard on the Tooth and Nail, on this uh, great podcast uh, on the history of Tooth and Nail called Labeled. And it's this dude that was in a band from, like, that was a part of, like, um, the scene that I was involved in here and here in high school and their band got huge, 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 huge. And he basically walked away from all of it when they were about to explode. Yeah. And the whole thing just like, he cost them a crap. I mean, probably like he cost them to the nail. I would imagine tens of thousands, if not like a couple hundred thousands of dollars, just a wasted money. And so, and there, and one of the reasons why he walked away, he said, I've always been driven. He's, I've just been scared to be poor my entire, my entire life. Yeah. And I finally started to like, I started to, I started to, um, I started to like make a bit of money doing creative stuff. Basically now what we like t-shirt stuff that then became like uh band branding and stuff and like and, and that is what he does now now he does like artistic artistic he, he does the branding for groups like 21 pilots or different things yeah. um, like that and so he was saying how he's just been like his whole life is just driven by being by being by being scared and i really um t- t- took at the heart because this is yeah. like a person that i like i knew in high school and i was like man that's are we just driven by fear is that it? Is that all? Is like is it is like the key to having a quote unquote unsuccessful life? Is it to be scared of the right things? Mm. To be you know. So this is a guy who is so financially like he's done very well for himself. Doesn't have a college degree. You know, was basically um, he was 
I'm living out of like vans when he was and like having a, and having a crash on like on friends' apartments floors because he didn't have any money in a in like a band who walked away from it all because he was scared of being poor yeah. and he and he wanted to be with his wife and just kind of be home. Who then got re- became very big in his little on the field. Yeah. Is that what it takes to be scared of the of like the right thing? And I'm and like this dude, he like he's a Christian guy. I'm not saying that that like he's bad or anything, yeah. but Christ calls us to not be to not be scared. Yeah, to be not afraid. And yeah. so now we all have the fear. Now again, I'm, I'm I'm not trying to pick on him, but I was saying, I don't think it's the right attitude for me. It was like, well, then should I find things that I'm scared of and like do everything I can to like avoid that? Like I was trying to like basically I'm a life hack it. Yeah. And then I thought, no, but that's not the right way to go about. Now we're all like, of course, it's again. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to crap on this dude. We all have we all have certain things that drive us. But my point is, we have to call ourselves out of that. And I get worried when I think about like, is that actually possible to do? Can we really ever like be not afraid and? actually be a gift to to people or is it always about what i can get so that's what i that's what uh, scares me about sometimes when we when we talk about people who give money they give because they give 10 grand because they get 20 grand of value out of that and that's not bad but that's not necessarily a gift that's a transaction still it's good it's a good thing to do it's a good transaction to be a part of but can i give a gift when it hurts yeah when there's no value in it for me, but I know it's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's hard because it's the fear that, like, keeps you there, yeah. right? Like, you know, to where it's always about, like, what can I get? And with this whole, like, a city thing, it's really challenging me to go, well, that's the way you – I think you may get over this stuff. Yeah. Over the over on this fear. And it's good to, it's, it's good to like, not want to – I mean – I feel, I think I'm saying like it's bad to be scared of being poor. To be, of being poor, I, I am. I'm not saying. Well, that. like, does the fear of being poor motivate you into doing the things that make you successful, or do they destroy you? Like, yeah, when we're or, or, hovering around fear and letting it be the principal thing that makes our decisions. Yeah, can it ultimately? Can that fear be turned into a gift? Mm-hmm. Down, you know, and like going back. To the dude in a band, he seems like he's doing very well in his life, very well um, adjusted. Seems like he's a nice dude. Like, it seems like he's in a good place. He was just kind of saying, "This is where I was, yeah, when I was young." And I think it's actually really hard to do that. It's really hard to admit I'm scared because, like, how much of what we do is actually driven by what we are, by what we're. It's basically pain avoidance. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get rich because I'm scared of being poor. I'm going to do this because I'm scared of that. And then we get things that everyone, we then praise them for the things they got, even though what was really behind that may have not actually not been a very healthy or good thing. Yeah. There was a guy who was a high school student, and he came up to me, and he's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a senior. You know, I want your opinion. And I've shared this story before, but it's been a long time. But it, it hits on what you're saying. He said... Should I go to Franciscan or should I go to, we'll just say, Indiana State University? And I said, well, why Indiana State? And he said, well, I'm a dancer, and that's, like, the best school for dancing. And I was like, you're a dancer? And he's like, yeah. I was like, huh. Okay, well, I don't know anything about the dancing world. Why do you want to go to Franciscan? And he said, well, the dancing world is awful. It's hyper-promiscuous. There's a lot of drug use. And I'm like, dancing? Dancing? Okay, okay. 
And he said, uh, and I'm just scared that I'll lose my faith in that environment. So obviously, if I go to Franciscan, I'll like thrive there. You know, obviously, all these are all hypotheticals. Um, but he's like, I feel like, you know, my faith would be so nurtured and I'd grow so much. What do you think I should do? And I said, I don't think, I think you're making all of these decisions based out of fear. Like Franciscan doesn't offer anything in dance. And if you're good at dance, go dance, but sanctify the dance, <laughs> you know? And he was like, what? And I was sanctify. like, sanctify. That's what this episode's called. Sanctify the dance. <laughs> you go out there and you show them who is the Lord of the dance. <laughs> I'm you not going to leave Don't you find that fucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to leave that. You got a pet. You got a responsibility. Yeah. So I said to him, I said, I don't think our Lord wants us making decisions solely based out of a place of fear. He's like, huh? So then he comes to me and he says, uh, yeah, I'm going to go and uh, do the dance thing. Uh, You were right. That's what I feel like God made me to do. And I would just be hiding if I did it any other way. And I was just scared. And I said, well, what made you not scared? And he said, well, you told me to go out there and, you know, try to try to make it a better place. So I was at a dance recital with all my high school students, you know, all my, you know, it was a dance club or, you know, whatever group from multiple high schools. And he said, I just walked out there in the in backstage and I said, hey, um, I'm Catholic. Would anyone want to pray in our father before we start tonight? And he said, uh, within about two minutes, I had 80 people holding That's hands awesome. in a circle, praying the Our Father together. That's when it's good to hold hands and pray That's the Our Father when before good. you're about to dance. Yeah. <laughs> not when you're about when to get loose. Yeah. And uh, he ended up actually not going to college at all. He was picked up by a dance troupe where they would pay him an insane amount of money to be one of their... One <laughs> of their <laughs> That's fantastic. And he quit that, and he, now he's in the servants of Christ Jesus. Oh, dang it. Yeah. And oh, it would be nice if he was still in there and he'd become a Patreon supporter. I know, but he's a badass. He is a badass, and I've always loved this guy. And uh, uh, he he really showed me, in a very stark contrast, like all the things you hear about Franciscan for a lot of people, like, I'm scared to lose my faith, therefore I make the safe call. Or I'm scared to be poor, so I'm going to make the safe call. And I think there is this huge element where boldness is required in order to do the right thing. And it's not just about doing the not doing the wrong thing, right? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there might be many mm-hmm. options, but there's there sometimes there are bold decisions that are the right ones that get that demand the very best of yourself. Not just okay, you're not going to be a mortal sin. Congratulations, that's your standard. But it's like no, this is an excellent thing to do. You go do that thing, and it's going to be really hard. And, in fact, David Goggins, his philosophy is don't do the thing. Don't only concentrate on the things you're good at. Like, if you're good at swimming, people will have the tendency to want to stay in the pool all the time. He said, don't do that. He said, because then you'll never get mentally tough. You'll just constantly be confirmed in what you're good in. And it's funny because there's a whole book called Living Your Strengths, and the whole premise of the book is – don't you're not going to be good at everything. Focus on the things you're good at and be great at those things. And he said, "Yeah, that's great if you're like in a job, but what about mental toughness? What about resiliency? What about just finding out what you're made of?" He's like, "Go do that thing." So he's really he calls himself really dumb. And he's like, "When I have to study a textbook, I buy it a year before I take the class, and I buy a stack of spiral notebooks 
and I write down every word in the textbook in the spiral notebook. He's like, it's the only way I can remember it. So he'll have the SEAL training manual. And he had, you know, it's a thousand pages, and he has to copy it by hand. And he does it all on his own after his 10-mile morning run. It's a man. Yeah. That, that man puts me to shame in many ways. Yeah, no Looks, kidding. abilities, yeah. mental resiliency. <laughs> he even balds better than you. <laughs> oh, I need a haircut. Uh, you know, it's well, it's funny, too. I um, When you were talking about that, it really r- reminded me of one thing that's been on my mind is why do people, like, quit the faith? Like, yeah. why do people um, walk away? And I, I've been there. Yeah. I mean, I've told, I've, I've been at that point where I'm like done. Like I, like I mean, I've I've written uh, I've written dramatic emails to our house of brothers saying I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And uh, oh no, I remember. <laughs> uh, 2007 was such a fun year um, <laughs> for all of us. My my my, my point though is, uh, like, we, if you have questions now, doubt the answer to doubt is is. Um, obedience, right? Yeah. But if you have questions and you doubt things, it doesn't mean you just like blindly just go, "Oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's yeah. fine." Like, it's okay to say, "I trust the church. I'm going to be obedient to the tr- to the church, but I'm going to try to understand and unpack these. I'm going to ask these questions and be obedient in the answer." Yeah. And how often are we are people actually scared to ask them? So they do the obedience part without ever really understanding what they're being obedient to. Yeah. So when that doubt, you know, really creeps in, it's not like I'm a faith. It's real just like odd allegiance, which I think crumbles because you aren't really holding on to anything just besides um, your fear still. Yeah, I call it it's not faith. It's agreement. You happen to agree with the church and you like Jesus. It's totally different to give than giving your entire existence over to it. There's a chapter in the Soul of the Apostle, chapter two of the second or third part, called "The Active Worker Who Has No Interior Life." And uh, here, just let me—I mean, like when I read this, I just think of one person, and that's you, Luke. To sum up such a one in a word, perhaps he is not yet tepid, but he is bound to become so. However, when a man is tepid with a tepidity that is not merely in the feelings or due to weakness. But residing in the will, that man has resigned himself to consent habitually to levity and neglect, or at any rate, to cease fighting them. He has come to terms with deliberate venial sin, and by that very fact, he has robbed his soul of its assurance of eternal salvation. Indeed, he is disposing and even leading it on to mortal sin. And I was like, ho, they're talking about being vigilant against venial sin. I don't even, you know, like, have I gotten to that yeah. stage yet? The answer is no. And when he's, okay, now think of this in response to Father, or not Father, uh, Jean Vanier, Vanier, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. the dude from the large community. Uh, here is a quote from Cardinal Lavagiri or something like that, that Soul the Apostle is quoting. There is one thing, said the Cardinal, one thing of which you must be fully persuaded, and it is that for an apostle, there is no halfway between total sanctity, at least faithfully and courageously desired and sought after, and absolute perversion. Holy sh... Who said that? And he was a, mission- he was a missionary bishop, and he was talking to his missionary priests, uh, and this is the statement. It says, um, 
Who said that again? Uh, this cardinal. It's referenced in chapter two of, I think, part two of Soul of the Apostolate. Okay, okay. Yeah, he says... Uh, Sorry. And the only proof we need for this is a statement of a missionary bishop to his priest, a statement all the more terrifying by its truth, since it comes straight from a heart consumed with zeal for good works and filled with the spirit that goes clean contrary to anything that smacks of quietism. There is one thing, one thing of which you must be fully persuaded, and it is that for an apostle there's no halfway between total sanctity, at least faithfully and courageously desired and sought after, and absolute perversion. And when I saw that, I was like, holy crap. Reading J.D. Flynn's thing on Medium about how it just ripped yeah. his heart to shreds with this Jean Vanier guy. Um, just so, so awful. But it's like, how? This guy was holy. And and this whole chapter, the active worker who has no interior life, the whole chapter is about people who have piety and devotions, but not super deep. And because they aren't wholly given over to the pursuit of it, they, he's like, yeah, there's a, a there's little genuine inner life, but this is when people the this is when people start to ramp up in their love of you, and he said that's when you need to pull back, and then do the examine and be more you know deliberate in your prayer. He's saying, but that's the exact opposite of what this guy does. He says a soul already captivated by the too natural satisfaction it takes in pouring out its energies. And exercising all its talent in a worthy cause. That's what he's thinking, right? He's like, no, look at all the good I'm doing. And it's like, yeah, and the devil is destroying you. Besides, the devil is wide awake on the lookout for his anticipated prey. And far from disturbing this sense of satisfaction, he does all in his power to encourage it. And I'm just underlining and highlighting everything in here. And I'm like, wow, wow, a tepid soul in the will where it's like holy things are like, yeah, like I'm cool with it because it's a part of my job. But I'm not actually going to do it. And then once I build that up, it's like, oh, my God, this guy nailed it. That's what I th- think, like, Father Dave was talking about in one way back in 2000. <laughs> like, because everyone I was there back in 2003 where he had this word that I was like, oh, that's about me. Where he says that, like, there's a person here who God is, a th- is this extracurricular activity that you're really, really good at. Yeah. This thing that we do that I'm for, for whatever reason I'm not wholly giving myself over. It's not my whole life. It's not my reason for being. It's this thing that I'm. You can like you can get really really good at this stuff and be screwed. Yeah. And that's terrifying, man. That's really terrifying. For the mere thought, like, it, of- it should it should scare us. Yeah. It should really scare us. The mere thought of being left alone face-to-face with his own conscience has become unbearable to him. The time has come when the devil can have a free hand to encompass the ruin of a soul that has shown itself disposed to be, to be such a willing accomplice. Ugh. Since activity has become a passion in his victim, he now fans it into a raging fever. But I'm doing this for you, Jesus. I'm doing this for you, God. Look at how I'm skillfully attracting souls for your glory. That's one of the reasons why I, I wanted to go. I so I, I started going um, to therapy. Mm. Have I told this to you? No. So I'm starting going to therapy. I went to my second session, and it, I I wanted to really just be like, okay, Lord, especially bef- before Everly's born. I just wanted to. Um, like, let's just get the junk out. Let's just really, like, work on this once and for all. And now, granted, honestly, after this, I'll be fine. Everything is going to be, you know, squeaky clean and 
praise God and um the um the guy with the bald head and the like earring clean. Mr. Clean. There we go. Woo. <laughs> I was like, you know, God and what's his name? Joey Jojo. Uh <laughs> um but just there was this thing I was like, you know, Lord, I, I, I like I know you're calling me to like some sort of deeper healing right now. And I can either I'm sit there and go, I'm sure you'll figure it out and not do anything about it or go, OK, this is a thing that's been that's been on my mind. Let's go. I don't know where this is going to go, but let's go and do this. Like, and I'm it's scary, but it's also this. I think the I really think God has called me to go. Like, what does God do? He reveals and heals, right? So part of going on the deeper probably means that you need to be healed. You know, and I think this is, and so for me, I think this is where the Lord is calling me to. You know, it's definitely uncomfortable, but uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah, so he says that the the devil uh, or God whispers, his guardian angel moves. He said, now be the time to take hold of himself, to examine himself in the calm atmosphere of a retreat to resolve to drop a schedule and follow it rigorously. So interesting. Even at the cost of neglecting the occasions of trouble to which he has become so attached. He's saying this is this guy's last hope. It's his last hope. It's to draw up a schedule and stick to it rigorously. Rigorously. Most of this generation quits the second they get talked to. You did this wrong, you did this wrong, or, or they get yelled at. It's so easy to, you know, to, to be great nowadays. Because everybody else is, most people are, are weak. This, this is a softened generation. So if you have any mental toughness, any, any ability, if you have any fraction of self-discipline, the ability to not want to do it but still do it. People have a, a hard thing to understand. I hate to run. And, and, and what makes me so crazy, it doesn't need more, is people go, well, well, why do you run if you hate it? What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't want to take showers and eat either. I hate that too. The, the whole that's life, man. That and 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 it, it wasn't until I changed that mentality that I became somebody. I hated going to school. So guess what? I was dumb as shit. That's what it, one plus one is two. But if you can get through to doing things that you hate to do, on the other side is greatness. That's what people understand. By me running. I am callous in my mind. I'm not training for a race. I'm training for life. I'm training for the time when I get that two o'clock in the morning call that my mom is dead or something happens tragic in life. I don't fall apart. I'm training my mind and my body and my spirit so it's all one so I can handle what life is going to throw at me because the life I've lived, it throws a whole bunch at you. And if you're not physically and mentally prepared for that, you're just going to crumble, and you're good for nobody. 